welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm Andrea Miller, and my guest today is a New York Times bestselling author and speaker, Lisa Bevere. Lisa has been teaching from the stage for more than 30 years, inspiring women to follow her example and become the woman God calls them to be. Today, Lisa shares her journey of a difficult childhood, growing up battling an eating disorder and promiscuity, but how meeting Jesus changed everything for her. She also shares her story of being a cancer survivor and how God used her biggest weakness all for His glory. Lisa, welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. It's such a great honor to be with you, Andrea. I love what you're doing. Well, I love your work and your books. You've written so many. You are just a well-known author, speaker, an advocate for women, all of those things. And I'm just really honored to have you on the show today. I'm excited about our conversation. I feel like there has never been a more relevant time for women to actually have the power to share stories with one another. Isn't that the truth? I mean, in this day and age of podcasts, and now we're really all connected via social media in this quarantine time, but it is, we have a lot of platforms. Yeah, we do. Thankfully. (laughs) <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you're my inter- you're my social interaction today, Elisa. So yeah, if not, uh, it's just it's just my husband and I. That's it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so speaking of that, our, my listeners know because I did a little intro before we talked about your professional resume. Can you tell us a little bit about your personal life, your kids, where you live, all of that? Absolutely. Well, I live in the frozen tundra right now. I am in eight inches of snow. I'm hoping by the time that this airs, this will not be my uh, my <laughs> continuum. So yeah. So anyway, yeah, I live in Colorado and I am the mother of four sons, which actually earns me the qualification of being called a mob mom, mother of boys. So I've raised four males. I have four magnificent grandchildren, two granddaughters, two grandsons, and they range from three to 10. And I have three beautiful daughter-in-laws. I am so thankful for having females in my world because for so long, it was just me and a bunch of guys. And so I have Juliana, who is the mother of my grandchildren. And then I have Christian, who is the wife of my youngest son, Arden. And then I have the lovely Jessica, who is the wife of my second son, Austin. And we've got one son hanging out there We are hopeful. We are so hopeful (laughs) (laughs) that he will get married and then the the scales will be balanced. We will have an equal number of females and males in the Bevere tribe. That would be awesome. Yeah, that has to be nice for you to have some female blood. I can't even, I've got two daughters, so my husband's the outnumbered one. So I can't even imagine having all boys in my house. You have no idea. You have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) And the irony, we'll talk about that later, that you raise boys, but yet you have a passion for women and speaking to them. So we'll, we'll dive into to that reason a little bit later. But before we do, let's just start out and dive into your story, your origin story, where you were born and raised, your childhood, and all of that that makes you who you are today. Absolutely. Well, I am about ready to turn 60, and I will turn 60 in June, and I was born in 1960 to, to be honest with you, beautiful and broken parents. My father is first generation Italian. His family came over from Sicily. They were refugees and he grew up fatherless. His dad died at 10. His mother had to do whatever she could to support her children, which involved actually working as a prostitute to feed her children. She married again. My father was beaten. He ran away from home at 15. And I don't know that 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 broken little boy ever had had a chance to heal. And then he married my mom, who had been the daughter of the first marriage of my grandmother. My grandmother was married four times. I mean, she was just like, hey, I, I believe in upgrading husbands. She was like, right. well, yeah, she was like, I am, I am going to be a pioneer for women. And right. so both of them came from very, very broken places and actually looked 
to one another to be something that neither of them could ever be for one another. I came into that mix at uh, 1960 and then lost an eye to cancer when I was five and was given six months to live. I remember my mom coming in every single morning with just, just with fear and terror because they said she'll go to sleep and just not wake up. And so that kind of overwhelming fear came, you know, came and actually pushed my mom into a depression, pushed my dad into a, a situation of alcohol and Um, My parents had my brother seven years later. My mom had three miscarriages in between us. Then they ended up getting divorced when my brother was about 13. And just really... To be honest with you, really misbehaved. I mean, I remember, you know, taking care of my mother when she would come home from dates, drunk and uh, sleeping by the front door, waiting for her. And you know, again, just all that mix. And went away to college. I kind of followed my dad's pattern of eating disorders and alcohol. So I started having an eating disorder around fifteen. I guess I, I guess I had gotten chubby uh, one year when I. No longer was on the swimming team. I was eating like I was still in training and my father was just horrified by my weight gain. He'd had a sister who was sexually molested and had become over 300 pounds. Uh, I'm pretty sure to protect herself. And so that fear, you know, he came on me yeah. like, you, you cannot do this. You're, you're fat. Nobody's going to ever love you. You've got to lose this weight. And so I, of course, at 15 made the association that if I was thin, I deserve love. If I was thin, yeah. I was in control of my life. Went out to the University of Arizona. Uh, I'm from Indiana, but I had figured out that the U of A was one of the top party schools. So (laughs) I said, I am going to palm trees and party. Went out to the University of Arizona, gave full expression to everything naughty and heathen in my life. And at 21, found myself pretty much disgusted with my choices. Mm -hmm. I had become the person I didn't want to be. My life was consumed with an eating disorder. I had been hospitalized because I had messed myself up so much that my body could not really function normally. And at that broken juncture and intersection of my life where I had been promiscuous, I had been immoral, unkind, all those different things. I was driving home from University of Arizona, singing in the back roads of Indiana, trying to keep myself awake, yelling at the top of my lungs, an ACDC song, I'm on the highway to hell. And I thought, perhaps, perhaps that's correct. And began searching and my search found me at uh, at the campus of Purdue. I couldn't stand living with my parents. They had remarried. They later divorced again, but they had remarried. I I had not been in that kind of tumultuous environment just between the eating disorders. I put all my pain in my stomach I'd gone into the dorms, met John, who was leading an all-campus Bible study. He invited me to a Bible study picnic. All I actually heard was free food. So I I went to this picnic. It was incredibly awkward. Uh, Back in 1981, people were in a circle singing, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And you hadn't been like in church, (laughs) regularly, any of that. So that was really crazy to you. No, no, not at all. And they were raising their hands. I'm like, do you have Mm -hmm. a question? Yeah. What is wrong with you people? (laughs) And I had a little song sheet that they had passed out. I looked down at the song sheet thinking, I got to get out of here. And I looked on to the next song and it was a song called Robes of Righteousness. Mm -hmm. And it said that when God looked at me, he would no longer see me, he would see Jesus. And Andrea, I had such an awareness that I needed a sacrifice, that I needed a covering, that I had no righteousness. And that night, John shared the gospel with me for the first time. I interrupted him and I said, I I need to do this. Whatever it is, this needs to happen in my life. And I uh, got born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. I wasn't even sure what that was. He just said, do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And I I said, well, make me closer to God. And he said, yes. I said, sure. Went back to my, then he said, well, now you're saved. And I said, what does that even mean? Yeah. And he said, it means you're whole again, spirit, soul, and body. And I said, so now I can have cheese? 
And he was like, what? And I said, well, I have lactose intolerance. You just said now that I'm a Christian, I can eat cheese. And of course, he panicked in that uh-huh. moment and was like, God, if you can save this heathen, you can heal her. And he didn't say that out loud, but this is what he right. thought. So I got healed. I felt this warmth that can only be expressed as love untying all the knots in my stomach in my in my shoulders in my whole frame physical frame and I knew, I knew I was yeah. healed. And that was when I was 21. I ended up marrying John when I was 22. We've been married for 38 years. And for the last 30 years, we have served in the ministry together. And did you know early on that you wanted to go into ministry? Did you know that before you married John? Like when you accepted Christ, was that just an immediate calling or was that just a gradual thing? You know, it's really interesting, Andrea. I woke up the next morning and I almost couldn't sleep because of the joy that I had had. And as I was making my bed the very next morning, I heard the Spirit of God say to me, the man you were with last night is your husband. I've called you to be the wife of a minister. And I remember thinking, what is that? You know, I had no frame of reference. You know, I was raised in the Catholic faith and had departed from it. You know, for our family, it wasn't a vibrant thing. It was, we went to mass on Easter, Christmas, confession before we got on airplanes. We did not, I did not have an open, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. I had, I had only embraced Catholicism as empty rituals. I know for many people, it is a vibrant, uh, intimate relationship with Jesus. I actually had not experienced that because of my own choices. I don't want to make it sound like it wasn't available. And so what really shocked me, Andrea, to be honest with you, is when God told me he asked, he wanted me to minister to women. That was where he got the biggest pushback. I was like, no, 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 no. I don't like women. Right. Uh, Cause not- I read that, that you, somewhere you said when you grew, when you were growing up, you resented even the fact that you were a woman, woman Absolutely. and you didn't like them. So yeah. Tell yeah. us about that a little bit more. Well, so here's the thing. And I still don't like these aspects Yes. I felt like women didn't say what they meant, didn't mean what they said, that they had some kind of secret language that, and I just found guys to be a little bit more direct. If they were upset with mm-hmm. you, they, they just told you, you know, there was no mm-hmm. guessing. There was no ghosting. You just yeah. knew you just like, okay, you're mad. Let's talk yeah. about this. And so I actually was kind of like, Hey God, I, I don't really like women. I think I'm a little bit more of a man brain with a woman body. Uh, I remember actually when John and I were engaged, I tried to have this conversation with him. I said, you know, you're getting a really good deal. And he was like, okay. <laughs> and I said, because I have a, I have like a man's brain and a woman's body. And John just looked at me. It's like, like oh that? my. <laughs> what the heck is wrong with you? And I, I realized that uh, under pressure, I could be everything I didn't like in yeah. women. I could yeah. be catty. I could be. And so when God told me that he had called me to minister to women, I said, I don't like them. And he answered me back and he said, I love women. He said, I created woman as the answer to the very first problem. And that problem was, it is not good for man to be alone. And he said, what you don't like is not what I created women to be. And he said, you need to find out what it looks like to be the answer of woman. Mm -hmm. And so that started me on a journey because I thought, why should I be happy? I think I could be more powerful as a man. I think men have more opportunities. Now that was back then. see more opportunities for women now in everywhere, of course, but the church. The church is a little bit behind. I feel like this needs to be confronted in love, but with incredible strength and clarity. Sadly, when women are not given their rightful place in the house of God, we lose so much. If God is the one who said it's not good for man to be alone, then men alone in leadership in the church is not good. And so we need women to come alongside the men and bring the goodness. Uh, Women have the capacity to multiply everything they come in contact with unless they're broken, unless they're marginalized, then they're fractional and they end up dividing, which is why I think it's so important, Andrea, that you are empowering women 
to share their stories because when that happens, women begin to heal. They say, oh, wait a minute, her struggle, her struggle. I thought I was the only one that ever struggled with that. I thought I was the only one that resented being a woman because I thought uh, it was it was a less than. I thought right. I was the only one who didn't like the way women treated each other. And you and I have this incredible opportunity to bring healing because if women can wound intimately, we can heal intimately. Mm, that's and good. the reason I say that is I've been wounded by my sisters. I've been hurt by my brothers, but I've been wounded by my sisters because I opened up my heart only to be betrayed. Yeah, that's so rich. And I could not agree with you more. And I was saying amen to myself when you were talking about the need for women in leadership and in the church and this healing that we need when we hear women's stories. So the common element I see through so many women's stories is that shame Mm -hmm. and how the enemy uses that to keep us silent or think we're less than or not good enough. And that's why your books and your work for women is just so powerful. And the irony that you started out not not really liking women and how God has used you to speak so, so much to women in your ministry. It's obvious Um, that God has a sense of humor. It, absolutely. Yes. That is another common thread through so many stories. I know one of the things we'll talk about a little bit is a quote that you, I read somewhere that you said, a passion for me is freedom. But if you say you want freedom, then God will have to make you face your fears. So how does that apply to your own life? I know you said earlier when you accepted the Lord, you just felt, you felt a little bit of a freedom and an unraveling, but what were some of the fears that you had to face in order to get that freedom? Okay. Do we have a two hour podcast? <laughs> <laughs> In a nutshell. <laughs> well, you know, the first and the foremost, I, I have found, and, and maybe your experience has been different. I have found God gives us a little reprieve. You know, when we first get saved, it's like, Jesus and me, and it's beautiful. And then we start praying prayers that make sense in the moment. And I remember praying a prayer that looking back now, I realized was a big mistake. And I'm joking and serious. I, I mean, I am glad I prayed it, but I remember crying out to God, Andrea, and saying, God, I want you to excavate my life. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where that word choice came from. (laughs) Two weeks later, I was like, wait, I meant to say accessorize. I meant to say (laughs) landscape. (laughs) Stop digging. Stop digging. But it was like, God was like, no, 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 no. That was, that was a moment. (laughs) And I seized it. I'm going after these deep rooted fears in your life. See, God has not given us a spirit of fear but of love, power, and a sound mind. So what happens is that spirit of fear comes after those three areas of our life. It undermines our power or authority as believers. It undermines our ability to love others. And to be honest with you, fear blocks our ability to receive love. And then it undermines our ability to have self-control, soundness of mind, discipline of thought, because we are constantly thinking, what about me? What about mine? If I do this, will I be safe? We're running all the gamuts of worry and stress and jealousy and envy. And so when God begins to go after a fear in our life, he knows that everything that you and I have ever longed for is on the other side of a spirit of fear. Mm. Every single time we see an angel come, you know, again, I think it's, again, a, a, an example of God's humor. They they don't show up in a nice way. They shock us. Oh my gosh, an angel just walks through the wall, just consumes a thing, shows up in the holy place. And then they're like, hey, don't be afraid. No, no, yeah. they knew, they knew, they knew they scared us. And then, so in that moment of terror, there's usually the presentation of a promise and an awareness that, hey, wait, God, I think you've got the wrong person. But if we just say, all right, that doesn't make any sense to me, but be it unto me according to your word, then God starts his process in our life. I remember realizing that I had a spirit of fear that was masked by anger. You know, when you're, and you see angry people and and it's a false strength Mm -hmm. that they hide behind. And so I had all this anger. And when God started to deal with this anger, I found out there was two things behind my anger. Number one, there was a heart condition of unbelief. Andrea, if you had called me and said, Lisa, I need prayer for my marriage, I would have prayed 
with you, believing and stood with you and had incredible uh, an assurance of the God's promise. But if, if we are talking about my marriage, I didn't know that God would be good. Mm-hmm. See, I felt like God was good for everybody, but not for me. Maybe it was because I was too bad. I don't, you know, there was a lot of different areas. So I had a heart condition of unbelief that was driven by a spirit of fear. And I had God go under, he went after that thing. One of my greatest fears was was women, was speaking publicly. I only have one eye. I mean, again, like if you look yeah. at me, you wouldn't think that. No, I did not know that until I started diving yep. into your story. And I yep. was yep. just shocked. And then also continue, but just how God used that fear, because you did have a fear. You were made fun of. And so share just a little about that, because that yeah. is just a direct fear and how God overcame that. Yeah. So I grew up being called Cyclops, mm-hmm. one eye. I got out of speech and debate in high school because, it, you know, I was handicapped. I you know, hey, I can't get up in front of people. They make fun of me. I don't, I'm not set up to win. And people will always agree with you why you can't. Mm-hmm. But God will always say, no, baby girl, you have no idea who I am. I am not interested in blowing up your areas of strength. I'm going to take those areas of brokenness and weakness in your life. And I am going to show myself strong. Then you'll have a confidence because it's not about you. It's about me. And so again, I, I remember my husband positioning me, making me speak to the youth group. You know, at first it was just like, say hi. And that was like enough to make me almost vomit or have diarrhea. But, you know, God said, Lisa, this isn't about you. This isn't about you. And Andrea, you know what? People actually connect more with me based off of my struggles that I've overcome. People, you know, if I was, I promise I never was this. If I was a beauty pageant queen or a homecoming queen, people might admire that. Oh, that must be nice. But very few women in a room are going to say, oh yeah, that was my story too. But everybody has one area that they feel disqualifies them. You know, for me, it was my eye. It was my past. Oh my gosh. I mean, sexual promiscuity to the max. I mean, I was like the patron saint of birth control pills in my sorority. I I mean, I didn't just live in promiscuity. I enabled other people to live in promiscuity. I was like, we're going to be responsible with our promiscuity. Uh, I, but that's when with those chains <laughs> fall off, when we start sharing yes. the honest parts of our stories, the enemy is not keeping us locked in that shame. So that's what, why so many women, we connect with each other when we start to be really raw and honest. And yeah, so you're exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And so, you know, so yeah, so God, God made me face those fears. And when I face those fears of getting up and sharing what God had done and taking every shadowed space that the enemy is like, oh, you better not say that, Lisa. If they hear that your husband locked you in the garage and you took a hammer to the grill, they're going to be like, she cray. And I'm like, nope, I'll just tell them I cray. And then I'll say, God set me free or that I almost almost hurt my son. They're, oh, no, no, no. They're not going to want to hear that. Well, I didn't hurt him, but I did learn something. I forgave my mom. I broke the cycle of physical abuse that had been in our family. Mm. To be honest with you, Andrea, I don't even know untold generations. I know it was in my father's family and it was in my mother's family. But when one generation tells their story Mm. without blame, without blame, because see blame, blame, and I'm not trying to be trite here, but blame makes us lame. Blame means I can't really walk forward in strength because Mm. I'm going to limp. I'm going to limp because I'm making excuses. And when I make excuses, I'm justifying. And what I justify in my life, I end up buying. Mm. I say, I I have to be this way because of what's been done to me. You and I have an opportunity to say, you know what? It doesn't matter what was done to me. It matters what was done for me. And what Jesus did was more than enough to set me free and raise me above any legacy of loss and shame in my family and plant me in a new family of redemption Mm -hmm. and love. Yes. And one of the 
beautiful parts of your story that really struck me this week when I was watching an old interview of yours. I think it may, maybe it was with Sheila Walsh, but you talked about, you know, all the harm that your dad had done to you and just not being in your life and neglect, but on his deathbed, the forgiveness mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. gave him. And that just really, really struck me. Do you mind just sharing about that briefly? Because I think that's such an important part too of this freedom and new strength. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so what happened, you know, was right before my father died, I took my oldest son, his wife, and my very first grandchild to go see him in an alcohol-related dementia center. And to be honest with you, Andrea, I didn't know who I would be meeting that day. My yeah. dad wasn't sure whether I was an ex-girlfriend, an ex-wife. So I had I had done some you know preemptive work, and I had brought family photos. I had brought photos of Addison and him together when Addison was two. I had brought the family Christmas cards, you know, and I had them all spread out on the table. And my dad comes out and he looks at me and I could tell he he knew he knew me but he wasn't sure how and he took all these photos and he picked up this photo of Addison my full-grown son who was standing there with his baby and he looked at himself in the photo pointed to the himself in the photo then pointed to himself mm-hmm. the man and I said yeah that's you and then he pointed to the two-year-old and he pointed to Addison now the full-grown beautiful father and I knew I was like he's wait mm-hmm. he's here he's coherent he knows who he is he knows who Addison's is, Addison is and I said yeah that's Asher that's your that's your grandson and I thought what do I say to this man who is on the threshold of eternity what do I say to him and I heard something so unexpected Mm -hmm. I heard tell him he was a good dad Mm -hmm. and I thought what no that is a lie you don't tell people on the edge of death lies he was a horrible dad and and I, he didn't even, try, he didn't read a good dad book. He didn't make friends with the good dads. I am not saying that to him. And this again was all going on in my mind. Sure. And then I heard the Holy Spirit say, he was as good as he knew how to be. Mm-hmm. Tell him he was a good dad. And you know, I've learned by making a lot of mistakes, Andrea, that when God puts something on the table, he doesn't take it off. It's just up to us whether we are going to say it, pick it up, embrace it, do it, whatever that is. Right. So in that moment, I thought, what do I have to lose? So I took my father's hands in mine and I kind of brought them up to, you know, we are face to face and I, I brought them up to this level where it was just fully his attention on me. And I looked him in the eyes and I said, dad, you were a Mm -hmm. good dad. And my dad is a hundred percent Sicilian. I have never seen that man soft or cry, but it was like a thousand volts of electricity went into his body and he began to shake, Andrea, and he began to weep and he began to nod his head. And he formed the only two words he spoke the entire time we were there. He said, thank you. And then he began to kiss the back of my hands. And my oldest son, who always had an awareness that somehow he was going to be part of his grandfather's redemption, came behind my father and stood behind the chair that my father was seated in, put his hands on his shoulders and prayed and said, we cancel his debts. He owes us nothing. Father, we thank you that his sins are forgiven. And Father, we thank you that he is translated from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of of light. He led my father in the prayer of salvation and actually used his words to speak the things that my father no longer had the ability to speak. And we felt the presence of God come into that incredibly depressing environment. My daughter-in-law was crying and this beautiful moment of redemption happened. And later my father's social worker ended up showing up at one of my meetings. And she told me the story of how my father's life had completely changed Mm. from that moment. So his last few months on earth, he was a transformed man. She said that he he used to beat up other patients. He had run away, stolen a car. I'm like, oh, hallelujah. And then she said, but for the last year, he was an angel. 
And she said, every time I saw him, he kissed the back of my hands. Oh, wow. Wow, Lisa. That, yeah. And that is why I love that story. I was crying while you were telling it here. I'm like telling no. myself, compose myself. Because my own, my dad passed in January. And oh. this, and it just spoke to me so much. One, if the Holy Spirit's put something on your heart, you got to do it. Because you, yeah. you don't, a life with regrets is really hard. And we don't all get, my dad died suddenly and quickly and expect so I didn't have those last moments and uh but I just know God is full of mercy and grace and for you to have such a beautiful moment with him it's just it's it's really powerful so thank you for sharing that part of you your know, story can, can I um share a little further on this you yes know? so that that is what happened when I recorded you know I actually typed out this story in my book girls with swords you and did? I okay. talked about forgiveness and while I was writing it, I heard the Holy Spirit say, I loved your father mm -hmm. before he was your father. Mm -hmm. I loved him when he was a frightened young boy, the child of immigrants. I watched over him when he ran away. I knew him in his brokenness. And there was such a, Andrea, I don't even, I don't even know. It was like this beautiful compassion that rose up from my father. And, you know, God, God loves the people that we think don't deserve it. Oh yeah. He, he doesn't just, he doesn't just like them or say, please pray for them so I can begin to love them. He loves them. Mm -hmm. He loves them. And so many, uh, it's been so beautiful. Andrea, so many people have made those phone calls or written those letters or made those visits in response to this broken testimony that I gave. Cause I don't feel like I handled it well, uh, until the last moment. You know, I wish I could have done things better, but you know, when we know better, we do better. And uh, that moment has been so redeemed uh, for other people yeah. to find healing in their relationships. And that's just a message I want to encourage people to listen to, just dealing right now with my own regret. And we think we're going to have those last moments. They play in our head one way. If, if we've had a tense relationship with a father or parent or sibling, we think we're going to get these last chances, or, but we don't always. So when the Holy Spirit puts something on your heart, it's, it's then to do it mm -hmm. and not to wait. Yeah. And Okay, I'm going to compose myself here. <laughs> Hey, I love your tenderness. Oh, it's been I um so that that is a good segue into strong because when I got your book, I got the the sample um or not the sample, the pre-release copy and it said strong and I have a love-hate relationship with that word this year. Our, <laughs> our church picks a new word for every year and this year it was stronger and I remember sitting in that service early early January when they announced it and I said I'm not I don't want that word I know when you pick a word like that like hard things happen to make you stronger brokenness weakness all of that and not kidding you the week later my dad dies <laughs> So there's wow. that. Two weeks after I buried him, I got a cancer diagnosis. What? Yes. And now we're living in a pandemic. So 2020 has been a really hard year where I feel weak and broken. And I rejected that word, but somehow God said, no, that is the word for you. So that is why this has really spoke to me and the irony of it. Um, but I know it's true that in our brokenness and weakness, God does make us stronger and not on our own strength. It's his. So tell me why, why God put it on your heart to write this book. Well, you know, here again, here's the irony of God's sense of humor. My publisher called me and they said, we think you should write a devotional called Strong. Mm -hmm. And I said, no. <laughs> Dang it, it's those things that we reject, I, right? You think I, we would learn. I should have okay. just took that word. <laughs> yeah, I said, I said, you guys, you guys, I have so many devotionals on my bookshelf that I have never finished. Not even one of them. Uh -huh. So I have guilt associated yeah, with devotionals. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I don't know if I want to do that. And I will say I have learned through trial and error that whatever you write on, you will be attacked on. So, so, so I'm kind of like, uh, so I don't know if I want to do that. And they're like, ah, oh, no, this would be so easy for you. You could do this in your sleep. You do girls with swords, lioness arising, fight like a girl without rival. This is who you are. So I kind of took the project on under protest and turned it in last February 
and had no idea that when I turned it in last February that it would launch during the pandemic yeah. <laughs> and, and, and felt a little bit like, well, I was certainly not in the spirit on anything because mm-hmm. I, I did fight them on the topic, even though I, you know, I, I was flattered that they thought that I should speak to it. Uh, I do remember going into the studio and recording it uh, as an audio book and coming home and saying to my husband, oh my gosh, this is a strong book. It's super yeah. intense when you read it all together. I mean, it's, yeah. it's great when you read the two pages and then there's 24 hours spread in between them. But when I read them, all 90 of them, because it's a 90 day devotional, it's kind of three months to strong. This is not a fluff book. This is no. not a, oh, lovely one. God loves you. You're beautiful. Twirl in your tiara and your tutu and smile at your day. This is, which is, I'm not saying that's not a fun thing. Right. I'm just saying that right doesn't prepare now, you for battle. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. Struggle is strengthening, yeah. and I don't like that. But it is in the struggles we actually find out our strengths. And you and I uh, have this in common. You know, we are. Uh, you know, I'm going to believe that you're going to be more, uh, my, you know, my bio says cancer survivor, but I, I like to say, uh, excuse me, I'm actually a cancer thriver. Like yeah. I actually overcame and it has become a, a strength woven into my life that I never yeah. wanted, but it's there. And we, we need to understand that I think we're in a season right now where God is saying, I'm going to remove all the things that distract and weaken you. Mm, I'm actually answering your prayers. You don't like the way it looks, but nonetheless, this is what's going to happen. And we have a choice. We can go into this pandemic one way and leave weaker because we hit ourselves in entertainment and distraction because we, we shirked the hard conversations we shirked the prayers that were, you know, the whole excavate prayers, you know, God, deal, yeah. with the, deal with anything that's displeasing, deal with any idolatry, because we just said, oh, no, no, I don't want to go there. Hey, this is the time to go there. We are in crucibles of close contact. We are in crucibles of isolation. We are in crucibles of, hey, you can either be remade or you can be unmade. And I want to be remade into somebody in invincible. So I'm not, I'm not saying I'm loving every moment of this, but I am going to say I'm going to redeem it. And, you know, when, when Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the spirit of God, it said he was there to be tempted by the devil, but he was also there to be tested. And it is in the tests that we find out what we know. And God tests us, not tempts us. He tests us to bring out the best in us. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when I was in in school and I was like, oh, I totally have geometry. I got this. I know all of it. Then I take the test. I'm like, okay, so (laughs) maybe I didn't have as much. It's frustrating, but it's also an opportunity to say, wow, this is an area I need to sure up with the word of God. This is an area of my life where I am doing really well. And this is an area where I can actually go from a place of unhealthy to a place of health, a place of weakness to a place of strength, a place of thinking that people liking me on social media, that might be like my source or whatever, or having just, to be honest with you, having community without consecration being entertained by things that Jesus died to save us from, we need to stop that. And so it's an idol removing season in our life. And an idol is what I give my strength to or draw my strength from outside of God. And those things obstruct our view of who God really is and remove us from the posture of being able to get the strength we really need. Absolutely. And It's so applicable. If you look at the chapters, your book is divided into 10 areas of focus, truth, freedom, grace, relationships, and they apply to our whole life, but they can also apply to just to the season of wilderness that we're in and particularly the strong in battle because Mm -hmm. the enemy is after us. He always is. But in this season, like you just said, there are a lot of things the enemy is targeting 
as with, with the isolation, with the temptations, with the just so much. And that particular focus really spoke to me. Can you talk a little bit about, you talk about shields and arrows, because I do think, I mean, we need the, we, we can shield ourselves. Like we have some real weapons to fight with that are not of this world for, for the enemy and how we can apply that. Yes. Well, and because you brought it up, I just want to be really clear that the enemy does tempt us. He tempts us to bring out our worst. Yeah. And then, then he does something so cruel. Once he's tempted us and we've caved, then he shames us mm-hmm. and says, look what you've done. Oh, you, mm-hmm. you think this, you know, this is not, this is not, you know, God doesn't love you. He's not, he's not there for you. He's not going to help you with this. And so, yeah, um, we have this ability to actually say no to ungodliness. And, and what Ephesians is telling us in Ephesians 6, and again, I think every Christian at this point in time should just immerse themselves in a study of Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, yeah. because it talks about all of this armament that God provides us with. And we're not supposed to just be like looking cool in our armor. I mean, it's a battle. And it, this is what it's saying about, it says, in addition to all this. And what, what was in addition to all this? Okay, first it opens up with Ephesians 6.10. It says, I love the message paraphrase. It says, God is strong. Okay, so hello, there we go. And then it moves to the second thing. Like we all know God is strong. What we need to know is that we can be strong. And what it says in the message paraphrase says, it says, and he wants you strong. (laughs) So like, okay. So then he gives us everything. And one of the things he gives us is a shield of faith. And that shield has the ability to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So I love that faith is like a substance. It is a kind of like a, a force shield. It's it's this ability to absorb the things that the enemy would shoot at us. And the thing that we use our faith for is the hope set before us. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So there is a hope and there is a promise on the other side. So you've just got some fiery arrows cancer diagnosis. What does that look like to have a hope on the other side? Yet will I declare the goodness of God? You know, Andrea, you could have just said, you know what? Here's the deal. People, I just got a really bad diagnosis. I feel like God has betrayed me. I've stepped out on a limb and I've started having women share the stories and I don't like my story right now. So I'm going to just, I'm just going to shut it down, God, because you're not being faithful to me. But see, we need to understand that faith is something that has the power to change our reality. Mm -hmm. So when we look at everything that you and I see, it was created by words that we cannot see. That God spoke this world into existence and we need to grow our faith. Now, faith does not grow by looking at Apple News, by looking at CNN, by hearing how bad everything is. Faith actually grows when we actually immerse ourselves in the living, breathing word of God. When we actually begin to understand that he is good and does good, even if we don't understand what that good looks like. And we say, all right, I'm going to let God's word be the final authority in my life. That doesn't mean we deny what's going on. That doesn't mean we, we don't say, Hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to wear a mask and do what you know, I, it right. says that we actually understand that we have a sword for a reason. And when you and I have the word of God in our heart, it comes out our mouth and we can have a situation that let's say you just went wake up in the middle of the night and the enemy is saying things like, you know what? This is not going to go well with you. This is not going to end well. You can speak out loud. I'm going to cast my cares on him because he cares for me. Mm -hmm. Why? Because you have hidden God's word in your heart. And so we need to be people who speak out loud God's word, not, not to name it and claim it for like a car, but to echo God's word on earth, because that is our privilege as our father's children, that we begin to say 
what heaven is declaring, we echo it back and God watches over his word to perform it. You know, there's a lot of words I've spoken that are just ridiculous words that I hope God never, well, I know he will never perform them because they're just idle words I'm going to give an account for. But when we speak the word of God, we're actually building faith, building people's lives, building hope. And it's just an incredible ability to do that to be entrusted with a language that has the capacity to make and remake. Yeah, and I think especially during this time, like you just mentioned again, this tool of the shame that the enemy is using and speaking those lies to us and the power of our words and to speak the godly truth against the enemy's lies. I can't tell you how many friends have texted me like, they're the worst mom ever, or they can't do this, or they've yelled (laughs) at their kids all day because we're with our kids all day and we're homeschooling. And the enemy's really battling them that they are just awful and they're just bad moms. And so (laughs) I think those are the big, some of the biggest tools of the enemies right now in this time, the lies that he's able to speak to us and why lists. I mean, they make these horrible lists that they hold up against themselves as they go to bed. I yelled, I slapped, I, you know, I, I didn't do this. I, I mean, moms, I swear, moms are the hardest yes. on themselves. And they live thinking, if I just beat myself up enough tonight, when I wake up in the morning, I won't do it again. No, that's not true. And I don't know if you saw this, but I, I have a free online course called Strong. And yesterday's lesson was for the moms. <laughs> for the moms. I did not see yes. that. So I will yes. have to check it out yes. and forward it to some friends because yes. I think yeah. we need that right now. Yeah. Cause I said the enemy will, he will take that one area and he, you know, whatever that one area is, bad wife, bad mom, bad girl. I don't know what it is. He, yeah. he loves to grab us and, and accuse us and say, look at them. They call themselves Christians. They yes. have meltdowns, homeschooling their kids. So many things the enemy is coming at us with right now. And what you need to do is change your focus. I, I don't know how Jesus talks to you, Andre, but he never... He never rehearses my sins, always speaks strength to my strengths. When I come to him and say, oh, Jesus, my heart is a brood of vipers. I just, you know, I'm yelling at my husband. I'm doing, he's like, stop, Uh stop searching your heart by your own understanding. Let my word be your light. Let's actually put some, let's put some stuff in there. And, you know, and again, I don't want to add guilt to mamas because I, I have mamas say, I don't read my Bible enough. I don't pray enough. I'm not doing this enough. It's the, I'm not, I'm not enough. And you know what? None of us are, none of us are, none of us are. And as mamas, we get to live the Bible. I swear we get to live the Bible. And if you only live one verse, I'm going to be slow to speak, quick to listen and slow to wrath for the rest of the day. Hallelujah. You celebrate that victory and don't think about all the things that you didn't do enough of. And and again, this is an opportunity to grow. You know, my children, my children are magnificent. I mean, Andrea, my kids are so much better than us. Oh my gosh. They are so much better. (laughs) I say that all the time about my 17. year old. I'm like, what, what in the world? I don't know how this happened, but well, I I know how it happened for me and it may be different for you, but basically John and I are really ridiculous people who know how to own our mistakes. Mm, And so we spent a lot of time in parental timeout where we would come back out and say, y'all, do you remember how we just talked? That was wrong. And they'd be like, yeah, we knew that, but we're Mm -hmm. glad you guys know that we always humbled ourselves and we always apologized. We modeled confession, which is, I said apologize because that's what most people know. But to be honest with you, apologetics is the defense of something. Confession is actually when I just say, I was wrong. I grew up hearing, I'm sorry I hit you, but you made me so mad, Mm. which really what I heard was, I'm the problem. Mm. And so we don't want to do that with our kids. And if we have, we just say, I'm sorry. You know, I'm so sorry. I blamed you. I'm so afraid. I don't understand. And you know what? Kids will respect parents who are vulnerable more than they expect uh, respect parents that make excuses. Nobody ultimately respects anybody who makes excuses. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And what a perfect time when we are maybe not the best versions of ourselves when we're quarantined with our children, but to just really model humility for them and forgiveness and grace. And you have a whole section devoted to grace. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another really applicable chapter for what we're all dealing with right now. I could keep talking to you. My gosh, Lisa, I've already taken up your time. I see what time it is. And I got to be respectful of how much time of yours I said I'd take. Tell me where you are. You mentioned that you have the free online classes that I'm going to check out because I didn't know about. And we'll share links, but tell me when re- if readers want to find those, connect with you, your book, where, the, where can they find you? So it, it depends. Do they want to connect with me with nice people? Because if they want to connect with the nice people, they should go to Instagram. If they okay. want to connect with me with grumpy people, they can go to Twitter. Oh, but uh, yeah, so I pretty much, um, I, I have also have a, uh, Facebook, but okay. Lisa Bevere, is my name on Instagram. And if it doesn't have a blue check by it, then that is some kind of scammer who is going to ask you for money. Oh, don't, okay. don't do that. Okay. Person. But if they go there uh, and they go into my bio or they go into one of my stories, we try to make it easy. They can actually find ways to sign up. And you know what is so amazing? This is first, first and foremost is the very first time I've ever done an online study. They can jump on it anytime. It doesn't matter. But I have over 17,000 and women doing the strong study right now. Do you really? Wow. Yes. Yes. And so I love that. And then we also have something called messenger courses. We've just been kind of doing a little bit different right now where people can go and we have 34 episodes for children we have things for teens. We have everything from moms of men to porn free to finding your calling to relational boundaries. We bring in other teachers and we have a platform of 25 courses where people that have, they're like, we can't even binge all this. And then, yeah, so it's not just Netflix or whatever, which is hallelujah. Certain things are great. Certain things are not so great. Uh, I had someone tell me that they read in Esquire magazine that the consumption of porn is up by 30%. (sighs) And so we, we don't want to do that. We we don't want to do that. That's not going to make you feel strong. That's going to actually make you feel weak. Exactly. And And how the enemy again is using this time, but we have so many opportunities. I mean, what a perfect time to join a study to start going through these courses and all, I mean, we have time, so it's time to do those things. And we're doing something we've never done before Um, with the book, Strong with the Devotional. We, we understand people are strapped right now. So there, there is uh, through messenger. If you want to get the book, we're actually giving the book for any gift they want. So if they say, I can only do $5, then we're getting it for $5. If other people can say, I want to cover people's difference. And so we've been doing that. And they can also, of course, go to Amazon and get it. They can get it uh, on Audible and electronic book on Amazon. So we will put links to everything you just mentioned, where people can find the book, can find you, can find the courses, all of that, so that they can go and check it out and use this time that the Lord's given them to make us stronger. Amen. I, that's, right. that's what I'm doing. And I am I am trying to transform myself from fluffy to buff during this uh, season as well. Good for you. It depends on the day. <laughs> it's my hope. Yes. It's, my true, it's my truest hope. <laughs> but we can't be down on ourselves if it doesn't happen or if we go fluffier than buffier during this, buff, buffer during well, this time. So It feels like I'm buff because I've been living in sweatpants. So in my mind, exactly. I'm in my work in my workout clothes I think I've worked out even though I haven't (laughs) yeah that's funny oh Lisa you've been just a joy today so thank you for coming on and for giving me your extra time and I'm excited to have my listeners hear your story oh thank you for letting me get to meet them Thanks for listening today. I encourage you to grab a copy of Lisa's newest book, Strong, and embark on a journey to grow deeper in your relationship with the Lord. As Lisa mentioned, there are a ton of free resources on her site, which we'll link up on the episode page at herstoryspeaks.com.